episode returning and regular guest Jason Dubray, he of the Shelf Shedding Movie Show, is going to help me rank and review six retro horror movies. We're going to set our sights on six movies that has a lot of exploitation, a lot of nostalgia, and kind of movie that maybe doesn't get made anymore. And maybe shouldn't? Question mark? I hope you like it. If you have feedback, you can send that to me at rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Check out the website at rankandreview.ca, and please enter the podcast forewarned that there will be spoilers for the movies being reviewed, as well as coarse language, especially from me. Thank you so much for listening to Rank and Review. I hope you continue to do so. We drop every other Wednesday. Mr. Jason DeGray, once again, after some significant technical difficulties, here we sit to do another rank and review. Thank you for being here. Thank you for putting up with the pandemic and all the madness that's going on. Um, this is a list that's outside of your comfort zone. <laughs> uh, I'm calling it Retro Horrors because most of the movies we're talking about are from the very late 70s or the very early 80s. And they all represent that time for better or for worse. So I guess to start, other than welcoming you back, I would say, uh, why did you choose this list? And uh, do you regret it? Uh, you've been very good to me. I mean, you did a Woody Allen show. You let me do another Stephen King episode. To, you know, you, you've accommodated me. But one of the things you've been saying that's been a little bit different about this particular season of podcasts is there have, haven't been a lot of, like, straight-up horror. And I wanted to do the next few to be, like, just straight-up horror. And I really wanted to push my comfort zone, as you said. This wasn't, you know, like some of the other shows that we did, the like crime film shows or, or, or that kind of thing. So, um, And I, I wanted to see, find a list of where it was, like, an equal playing field. And this was my first time seeing all of these movies. Right. So, uh and I had a lot of fun with this one. I'm I'm glad to hear that for sure. Because when I think of some of these titles, I think of myself being too young at a video store in small town Alberta and looking at the shelf and looking at these titles, particularly The Beast Within, had a really badass VHS large shell case. But it was forbidden. Yeah. It was one of those movies that I like. Like I'd, I'd have to get like someone bigger to rent for me, or I'd like a special circumstance would have to arise for me to see it. 
um, the, the guy at this video store there was strangely militant about what he would let me rent and what he wouldn't. Rambo was okay. Oh. Sorority Row was not. You know what I mean? <laughs> he was really protecting me from the sexuality. Not so much the violence, but the sexuality. And if there's something that's going to make people uncomfortable in this batch of movies, although one of them is rated PG, for the record, but there is some... Um, it, it's from that different age where the exploitation was unabashed. Nobody was ashamed of it. Nobody was particularly blushing about it, you know? People pay their money to see sex and violence, and that's what we're going to deliver. And it's strange because it might not be the most popular opinion to have, but in a way, I respect their purity or their honesty. It seems like if they make an exploitation movie today, they have to be making a comment on it or like uh, it'd be admonishing the audience saying, shame on you for wanting this, but we're going to deliver it anyway, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I don't, I'm not really making excuses for it. It is what it is. I like seeing naked bodies. I like seeing violence. There is some sort of... That's the appeal of the horror genre in a lot of ways, this forbidden fruit. But I don't know. We've uh, attached a lot more shame and a lot more baggage to it in the re recent era. And of this age, these movies were just allowed to be what they are and what they were meant to be. So uh, I respect them for that. But because you don't have that relationship with them, because you didn't covet them from a young age, because you don't like associate the sights and smells of like your vintage VHS era video store to these, you know, forbidden titles. It's it's a strange place for you to be in, I'm guessing. Well, I mean, I I had forbidden titles, but uh, I, they, I, I'm not sure they were from the same section of the video store. I mean, I, I had to spend... I nagged my father about natural born killers for a, a solid year. I, every time I was in a video store, can I rent natural born killers? Can I rent natural born killers? And finally at the end of the school year as a reward, I was allowed to rent it, but it was after nagging him for about a year. <laughs> and then I had moved on to some other movie, but they were often kind of crime movies or they were still within, you know, I guess the mainstream. And uh, I, a lot of these movies with the exception of maybe one, were are are very much outside of the mainstream cinema, even though we do see some familiar faces in in, in some of these movies. Yeah, I think you can cut this podcast kind of in half a little bit. There's three sort of transformation sort of creature movies, maybe you could call them, and there's three sort of kind of slasher movies you could probably call them, but I think they all. They're, they they have a similar flavor. I mean, there's a couple of outliers that we can talk about, but for the most part, I feel like they kind of belong together in some way. I also wanted to mention, of course, the Shelf Shedding Movie Show, hosted by Mr. Jason Dubray. <laughs> uh, please check that out. Um, is your website up yet? Yeah, website's live now. Um, I'm not sure when this show's going to drop, but it's it's by this point it will have been... I'm guessing it will have been up for uh, for for a few months here, but it's it's fairly new that it's live, and uh, so I'm starting to work with it. It's a little bit of a different way of um, of sending out my uh, my podcast, but it will offer me a little bit more control, and I'm hoping I can get a little bit that connection I've been missing to to uh, iTunes and getting just a just a more varied audience. Like yeah. I looked at my demographic. And like everybody who had listened, downloaded my show uh, was from here, except for one 
one from Bulgaria or something. I don't know how somebody from Bulgaria got yeah. got, uh, got on the episodes, but uh, you know. So well, that's um, how it started for me. It was basically a very small circle from you know Saskatchewan and area. Then I had some family in Edmonton, some family in Calgary, some friends that like were listening to it, and then I'd get a random listener from Prince Edward Island who I did not know. And then I would get a random, like, uh, I got an email from a guy from Germany, you know, uh, like, it's really nice when that happens. But my advice, yeah. especially when you're starting this, because I'm quite a few years into it, and I still have a pretty small audience, try to as best as you can ignore those numbers, and try to as best as you can enjoy the yeah. show. Uh, I think because podcasts are forever, maybe the day comes where the show peaks, and then they'll, people will be listening to those back episodes. But... If you enjoy doing it, keep doing it. And I believe that the people will come. Um, yeah. but, but that's my advice to you. I, I kind of jumped the rails there. Is there anything you would like to say about retro horror or about this selection before I list off the movies and we start talking about them? No, I mean, I, I really surprised myself in two ways. One was that I was able to find these movies fairly easily. And uh, the, the second one was just how much fun I had with, uh, with looking at these. Okay. Um, so in the, well, this is the order I have the stack in. <laughs> we'll discuss the order, but, uh, we're going to talk about Terror Train, a vintage 1980 slasher movie starring the Scream Queen herself, Jamie Lee Curtis. Then we're going to talk about Altered States, which was the feature film debut of William Hurt, a man who I met and had a long discussion about Richard III with. <laughs> then we're going to talk about a very odd movie called The Tourist Trap. It's sort of a slasher movie, but there's also some supernatural going on, and maybe just a hint, just a hint of madness. <laughs> the Beast Within, another very strange, infamous 80s practical effect creature number. The Initiation, which introduced the world to Daphne Zuniga. If anybody out there knows who cares who Daphne Zuniga is still. And we're going to finish it off with the Roger Corman cult classic, Humanoids from the Deep, also found in some areas just as Monster, which is weird because there's quite a few monsters in the movie. Thank you so much for being here, Jason. I don't want to get back on that track. Nobody does! Help! Please! Nice gag, You'll die. For the students aboard, it's going to be the one party to end them all. They're always walking out of my parties, but this time, you can't. For me, Terror Train is one of those slasher movies that's like such of its time and period that like, uh, in a way, it gets a pass for a lot of the cliches of the genre that people will regularly complain about just because it was a relatively new thing that was being explored here. The whole Jamie Lee Curtis is the scream queen. The template of a person who was wronged and decides to seek revenge on a group of people we're going to see again and again. The idea of taking a holiday, in this case, New Year's Eve, 
and uh, exploiting that for scares, we're going to see that kind of thing happen again and again. The idea of setting a slasher movie on a train is not a bad one. It's a claustrophobic environment. The idea of all the characters wearing costumes is by itself not a bad idea because it sort of helps the, you know, who's, who's the killer, where's the killer. There's a lot of, you know, claustrophobic things that could go on. So I want to be sitting here saying, here's a great example of an underappreciated 80s horror jam. But somehow it doesn't hold its weight amongst the Friday the 13th of the world and the Halloweens of the world. I, I don't think it meets that level. Even this early in the cycle of the slasher genre, there's a lot of air in the proceedings here. There's a lot of stuff with the train, like, crew talking amongst themselves that seems to be blind filler they actually have david copperfield himself show up in the movie and do legit magic tricks and that's that's a fallacy of filmmaking the idea of showing a magic show on film you have to see it live or else the trick is not the trick in the world of cinema you know any trick can be used to deceive us and we understand that so as much as those illusions might have been really genuinely amazing to see live on film, they just kind of feel like filler, which is what they are. Does the film have some interesting qualities? Yes, they have a, a, a gay character in a time and place where gay characters were rarely even acknowledged, let alone, you know, mentioned. Um, and there's some interesting moments, but I just can't get super excited about Terror Train. Uh, is the problem me or is the problem the train? <laughs> well, I think... I was trying to figure out, this was the first one I started with, with with this list, and I was trying to figure out why I had not heard of it. It came out the same year as Friday the 13th, if I'm not mistaken. 1980. 1980. Yeah. Uh, And it'd been, what, like four, six years since Black Christmas really kind of started us off. And a year after Halloween. year after Halloween? A couple years after Halloween, yeah. I want to say 78 Uh, for Halloween. And Jamie Lee Curtis kind of was becoming the it girl at that time. And, and so it was interesting. I just didn't, didn't know about this movie and this, this movie and her canon of films. And uh, I, it has its problems. And you mentioned one of the big ones is we have a ridiculously long sequence with this magic show. And I was having the same thought you were that we don't have enough to fill up an hour and a half movie here. So let's just spend a whole bunch of time with David Copperfield. Yeah. Um, I take great pains to make David Copperfield look creepy and look like a suspect in this. And um, that's just how he looks, I guess. <laughs> but at no point did I ever think that David Copperfield was going to be the killer on this train. Um, I, But I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I, I as, as much as I was like, I was writing tons of notes and, um, but I wasn't fighting the movie. Like sometimes I fight a movie like this a little bit and I was entertained by it. I predicted a plot twist, I, like pretty much from the beginning, um, but I still enjoyed the ride enough. So when you say you predicted the plot twist, did you predict that the vengeful student was posing as the magician's assistant? Not completely like that, but I knew I knew that the student was behind it. I mean, I and I also knew that there was something with the magician's assistant that was just too obvious, particularly when and 
I really like uh, Ben Johnson. Ben Johnson's in here playing the kind of the train conductor or whatever. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like he has some pretty stupid lines to say, but he 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 delivers them like a pro, right? Yeah. But when there's that all that business about oh David Copperfield or whatever his character, the magician, is so uh, so evil. He must be the killer. Everybody is convinced of it. And there's this big production made, oh, come over here, and they get the assistant uh, to the back of the train to protect her. I was like, yeah, that's somehow either either the assistant is partnered up with the, the vengeful student or there's some other thing. And so, again, we I, I have seen movies from later in the 80s where the, the cross-dressing idea is, is brought into... Uh, brought into it particularly in Brian De Palma films so it really uh, it is a thing of the era and of the genre unfortunately that like somehow yeah. posing as a woman somehow homosexuality somehow mommy issues maybe it comes from Psycho the great grandpappy of them all but that seems to be like a symptom of psycho of you being psychotic that there's a there's some sort of homosexual <laughs> affectation to you which is unfortunate and which was what led to movies like the sounds of the lambs getting picketed and stuff like this um and yes i understand that it can be problematic um i don't think that they were trying to make any kind of statement here but when i saw it at a young age i did not catch the twist and I recognized the formula early enough in these movies that that was a rare enough thing to make this movie kind of memorable to me. Yes, of course, the, yeah. this guy's going to be seeking revenge, but I didn't think he was going to be posing as this woman. That never occurred to me. Now, maybe it's a ho-hum twist yeah. today in 2020, but in 1980, that kind of melted my brain a little bit. And I gave the movie points for that. Like, how old do you think you were when you first saw this movie? I'm going to say 12 or 13. Yeah. And I think if I'm watching it for the first time at 12 or 13, I'm, I'm going to be wowed by that twist. But at, at 40, I've, I've seen <laughs> enough movies that, you know, I, I was like, oh, of course. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes perfect sense. Like for a little while there, I was doubting my theory that it's the vengeful student, but it's the only thing that makes sense. Like, why would you have the entire opening sequence yeah. come out the way it, it does there? Yeah. Um, I think the prank I is think... a little too harsh. I would have also liked it if it was... I mean, obviously, there was an accident in that like they got the kid committed and drove him insane. But there was no humor mm -hmm. to that prank. It was pure darkness, which made our victims less sympathetic. It's not necessarily that they deserve yeah. brutal deaths, but that prank, putting that like picked-upon kid in a bed with a dead body because he thinks he's, yeah he thinks he's gonna be having sex for the first time and he gets into bed and there's like a cadaver they've stolen from the medical center or the morgue or whatever like that is traumatizing that is not funny and even though jamie lee curtis didn't fully understand the whole breadth of the of the prank she's still responsible and she still needs to own it now again do they she, need to get killed she agreed to, she agreed, yeah, to, she do, agreed it. to do it yeah, I did just that that choice. The idea is that she's a stupid first year or whatever. But uh, here, here, here's one of my. If I'm going to fight the movie a little bit, mm -hmm. these are all supposed to be medical students, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, and the only one I believe that was intelligent enough to be a medical student is Jamie Lee Curtis. But it did feel very high school. The first. Almost half of the movie seems to really be taking its time. And to its credit, I mean, it's establishing some characters. It's establishing some atmosphere. 
but once it goes into the full bore slasher phase, it gets into a mad hurry. Like at the end, when the killer is finally kicked off the train and his body gets like rinsed down into this icy river, we smash cut to credits and like the movie is over before you realize, even have time to like be satisfied. You know, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like the climax has been reached and the credits are already running. Yeah. I, I agree with you on that. I actually have that note down for another one of the movies we're going to talk about too, where all the stuff happens really fast. And then like, there's no resolution of any kind. The end. And, yeah. I mean, I, I think the third act is, you know, it, it is effective. I mean, the cat and mouse game that goes on, uh, with Jamie Lee Curtis for the most part with some others. And I, I think it is, it is exciting and it's fun to watch. And so, again, I'm probably singing its praises a little bit too much. I mean, there's there's just some silly stuff. There's some pretty hammy acting, uh, in particular, in that opening sequence when uh, the whole prank is happens. The uh, the guy stands up and starts wrapping himself into some uh, bed curtains or something, and it just it does not look like a reaction any human being would have yeah, as he... traumatic as it is or not and then it that that image is is repeated late in the film too and it, it just it, i mean it's like okay this guy is unstable and this is like the capital p psychopath but it it does not have any sort of and maybe i'm asking too much for some naturalism in uh a movie called terror train but uh <laughs> Yeah, so it was. It's tough for me to, to to feel sorry for him or like him, but it was also tough for me to feel sorry for the bullies because we've talked about bullies in the past and how much I I don't always mind seeing them get their comeuppance in a horror movie, knowing that it is fictional, not not real life. Uh, no tears are shed. Did you recognize Hart Bachner? I believe the name is. Sorry, you cut out. Uh, did you recognize a young performance from Hart? Bachner, I believe his name is. Um, he, about four years or, or, or eight years after this, would show up in a little movie called Die Hard as this coke addict who thinks he can talk his way uh, out of a negotiation with Hans Gruber. It's just interesting. That's right. That's right. I... Yeah, it's just interesting to see his face. Yeah. He's quite young in this movie, but it's totally the same guy, and he's totally got that smug asshole face. Like, you get why he gets cast mm. in these roles. He's probably a totally nice guy, <laughs> but uh, alas. I, I feel about his death the same way I feel about his uh, diehard death. You know, it's just like these, you know, I, I don't know, they're kind of get what you deserve and if you're a character acting like this in a movie like this then that's what's going to happen i think part of the places where the movie flinched a little bit too is the violence after friday the 13th it wasn't just enough for there to be a suspense and then a cutaway uh people started getting a little bit bloodthirsty part of the payoff was seeing the actual you know visceral blood and violence and this movie's instinct is to cut away at the last second, which traditionally had been how it was done. But Friday the 13th moved the bar, and you either moved with it or else, you know, you became a less remembered slasher movie. 
And I think consequently, Terror Train is sort of a less remembered slasher movie. It's not horrible, but it's not great. And in fairness, it came out the same year, so it was probably filmed in 79 without oh, yeah. necessarily having knowledge of what Friday the 13th and the impact Friday the 13th would have. Uh, it, it's kind of a, interesting, the retro idea, too. There's some scenes which are very 80s, and there's some scenes which you could tell are very late 70s. And I feel like the magic show and the like the dance area, the party area, that's very 70s. But then the like the glasses and the costuming and the hairstyles are very 80s. So, yeah. so it's kind of a strange hybrid of the of the 70s and 80s together in here. Yeah, it, it gets a pass for me. I mean, it, I'm not I'm not going to be uh, like drooling about any of these movies really, but I. I I enjoyed it a lot more than, and maybe it's because I had such low expectations for it. Yeah. Um, but I, I, it was, it was entertaining, and I, I had some fun with it. And it's, yeah, I think it's a pretty solid horror movie. I, I want to mention it's a Canadian director, Roger Spotswood. Yeah. Um, he went on to direct a James Bond film and also a very good HBO movie called uh, "And the Band Played On." Oh, he directed "And the Band." I really like that. Yeah. If you like the aesthetic of 80s slasher movies, this is another one. It's not amazing, but it, it it's not <laughs> awful, right? Yeah, it's good. In the basement of one of the country's leading medical schools, Dr. Edward Jessup, candidate for a Nobel Prize, is conducting the most dangerous experiment in the history of science. And the subject of the experiment is himself. Ask him what kind of an experience I can expect. It's deafening. The noise is deafening. It's blacked out. What happens during these blackout periods is you get the feeling of phenomenal acceleration, like you're being shot out over millions, billions of years. Time simply obliterates. You guys are shooting off with an untested drug that stacks up in the brain and works in the nucleus of the cell, and you don't call that dangerous. Now, I'm asking you to put the experiment off until we understand a little more in order to minimize the risk. I'm really frightened. We could be screwing around with this whole genetic structure. Now, how do we stop this? We've got millions of years stored away in that computer bank we call our minds. We have got trillions of dormant genes in us, our whole evolutionary past. Perhaps I've tapped into that. So I've talked a few times in the past about Ken Russell, and he's a really weird filmmaker. I mean, you can go into it knowing that you're probably going to see something you haven't seen before, but it's not necessarily a guarantee of quality or the guarantee you're going to see something that you necessarily wanted to see before. Uh, he's uh, an interesting <laughs> wild card. I kind of place Lynch, actually, in this same measure in that I don't really know what I'm going to get from a Lynch movie, whereas mm. with with Ken Russell, I come in a little bit hopeful. I've gotten to the point with Lynch where I'm a little bit apprehensive going in, but I always want the movies to be good. The subject of Altered States is a young, ambitious uh, scientist decides he wants to basically become what's called a psychonaut, uh, which means you inject your body with uh, LSD or, or psilocybin or whatever hallucinogenic chemicals you can get your hands on, 
And to add to the experience, you go into a sensory deprivation chamber in which you are floating in water and in complete darkness. And you go on this crazy head trip and of inner exploration. And a lot of, you know, creative thinkers and writers, you know, swear by, you know, this, these kick down creative doors and that it could be the key that will cure the world. Or it's just a really fun high, <laughs> right? It's just some hippie. Um, but it's an interesting subject to explore in movies, period. And I think a really interesting subject to explore in a horror movie. You know, you can destroy yourself. You can have a psychotic outburst. Or, as this movie posits, maybe you can actually physically transform. But, in the end, how much is real and how much is not? And um, is that what the movie is about? Um, I like the movie. It is a head-scratcher of a movie. It is very definitely made in 1980. And if that's going to be a problem for you, then, then that's going to be a problem for you. But the movie's interesting. And it's interesting enough to hold my attention. I do have some problems with it, but overall, my interest in the subject eclipses everything else. And I walk away mainly happy with the movie. Mm -hmm. Am I wrong? I, I don't think you're wrong. What, what was interesting, this was the last one I watched. And I felt the pace, because it's much, much slower pace than any one of the the other movies we look at. It's actually, there are two movies which I, I think are a little bit more polished and maybe a little bit more, for lack of a better term, professionally made. And this one would be, feels to me like the most professional, the best budget we have Bob Balaban in here, who's who's absolutely terrific. I love seeing him in in in, in anything, um, and it's it's the special effects are great. The music score is outstanding. Um, I I really enjoyed Altered States, but then I was like, what what is this? What what is my hesitation to say? Hands down, this is the best movie of the six that we're looking at, and I think it's just it it really really takes its time. But I also want to pay the compliment in a way that. It reminds me of 2001 A Space Odyssey in some places. It maybe is a little bit more, um, for lack of a better term, structured. Uh, you can you can pinpoint what this movie is about a little bit more, a little bit easier than with 2001 A Space Odyssey. But I, I enjoyed seeing back like the visuals are are outstanding. It's um, it, it is quite a remarkable film. I I wasn't aware that it was William Hurt's um, big screen debut. And I mean, he was a leading man from the beginning, is is what that says to me. Because it's it's just a pleasure seeing him in this movie. Um, I, I I really enjoyed it, but this is the one where I, I mentioned that uh, we have this rather dramatic climax that happens, and then it stops in credits roll. Yep. I I, I thought we might have a a moment or two. I don't need much because I again like. Maybe one of the faults we've talked about Stephen King a lot um, when we're reading his books is we've reached the climax and then we have another hundred pages of, of resolution. We find out where what happened to every single character and every single location. I, I don't need that, but I, I think I just after what happens in the climax of this movie, there needs to be a little bit of a breather and a more natural transition into the end, um, if I was to be critical. So that and the pace... But other than that, I, I totally agree with you. It's a really interesting um, 
really interesting piece. Uh, I like, um, I quite like the sequence, even though it may be problematic in 2020, but uh, the sequence in Mexico where he goes and uh, he takes uh, he, he takes that peyote that or with, something. Uh, Is it peyote or mescaline or I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's been used in other movies and I don't think it was any more, uh, offensive than it is in, in other things I've seen. Yeah. I think a lot of people are made uncomfortable with the religious imagery and the goats with the eyes and the crucifixions and stuff like that. Uh, but it's not just a measure of exploitation. Uh, it is very common. People who have psychotic breaks very commonly have religious visions they're described mm. religious imagery uh that's that like it's it's a almost like a flavor of schizophrenia <laughs> to be like mm. uh visited by angels or demons or convinced that you're the devil or that you're the go a god or, or jesus um so it does come from a place i mean i do believe that the sources the the material was well researched and they were legitimately interested in it yeah. um i think there's also the sorry there's also the battle within Hurt himself. He's a scientist, but comes from a religious background and uh, about the death of his father had a big impact. And then he's he that plays into a lot of these drug trips or hallucinations or whatever. And and so I, I thought it made perfect sense to have the religious imagery besides besides the fact that that would legitimately happen in uh, in. in if, if somebody was to take whatever whatever this was yeah. was I, I don't know yeah. I don't know like he does a whole bunch of different things and I don't necessarily know the difference between one and the other they're all psychotropics they're all they're all like LSD they make you trip balls as yeah. it were yeah um this yeah. was also coming off the backs of I think it's right to mention 2001 but I think uh horror movies that came out recently there was a lot of religiously themed horror the exorcist the Omen, yes. The Sentinel. Um, this was, again, it's sort of split in the line between sci-fi, drama, and horror. It's kind of like everything in a bucket at once, which is kind of what's good yeah. and bad about the movie when all is said and done. But it reflects the themes of the time, and in its pace, it kind of reflects the, the way movies were made at the time. I find mm -hmm. that movies of the late 70s and early 80s have way more air in them than any movie will allow today even editing my own pictures like uh you know in the 80s they will show the scene where the car pulls up in the driveway and the guy gets out of the car and he lifts his bag out of the car and he walks to the front door and he opens the door whereas nowadays we smash cut and he's already in his house cooking supper it's yeah. just how we do things like i think an argument can be made for both but you should have a reason why you're doing one or the other and at this time of place, mm -hmm. they, they showed us a lot of behavior. What did you think of the relationships in the movie? Like the, the way uh, Williams Hurt character, I guess, like he's, he's very coveted. He's incredibly intelligent and he's handsome. But he's kind of a dick, right? He's so obsessed. It's so much about him that he can't even pretend to his girlfriend while he's with her intimately that 100% of his brain is, is checked into it. And um, I think it was one of those things, if they were going to do so little with it, why did they bother? And if he cared so little about her, why was she the one that, quote, saved him? 
that that piece is kind of curious in a way because it you know it starts off with their relationship and then they have sex and then like he's just really not that interested or doesn't understand uh what love is and it seems like out of convenience they married and we flash forward pretty abruptly to him being a family man in in boston and then you know, all of a sudden they're getting divorced and then he's going off to Mexico and then he's doing all these experiments. Um, but then, you know, his, you know, his ex-wife becomes his, you know, his, his greatest ally, you know. Um, but it, it's a very strange relationship. I, I guess it's, it's the flip side to often in the movies when you see divorced people it's it's a real melodrama they hate each other there's all these theatrics connected to it but these are very cerebral people and they just kind of take things as they come so that's that's maybe okay but yeah i i agree with you like what what's kind of the point of all that um the, the courtship if it's we just move forward like that and then to the point where the the marriage is pretty much over it's Especially in a movie where um, we feel that there's, there's so much fat on the movie that like we that you kind of feel you don't need scenes to go on as long as they do anyway. Why is that there if you're not going to do anything with it? What I will compliment mm. though is the special effects. As eighty as nineteen as nineteen eighty as they are, they're so specific to the time, but they fit in the movie perfectly, and they are still, I guess, to you, for lack of a better word, trippy. <laughs> like they are yeah. very strange, and uh, they will remain strange. No one would make those choices today. Like you're only gonna see that kind of effect in altered states. I mean, I think that the transformation sequences in the light show hallucinogenic, which definitely I think you're right to, to mention 2001 as an influence are there. Uh, they're actually in their own way more interesting than the 2001 light tunnel at the end of, the, of that movie. Again, I think in the 60s that blew your mind, but in 2020 it's like, yeah, okay, it's a grid of lights. Thank you. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a defender of it, I guess, the 2001 light show. Uh, I, I, I like both for what they are, yeah. But they're very specific to their time. Like I say, they wouldn't be even emulated today because they just so what they are. I don't know if that makes sense. Well, the closest, the closest would be Annihilation from uh, was it last year when that was released, and that was blew my mind. I mean, that was the only movie I've seen in a while that was like that. Yet those effects are way different than the effects in these yeah in these movies. But I I think you can show this this movie to uh, other than the pace to a mo somebody in a modern audience and they I don't think they're going to be too distracted by the effects I think they'll they'll like it as as opposed to some special effects movies other special effects movies in the 80s where uh, it hasn't aged as well and you have to sort of explain how wonderful practical effects are and how much better they are than C CGI um, to to younger people but uh, in, in my biased opinion but I, I, I really, it's really amazing what is done here. And, and you know, Russell deserves credit uh, for, for his vision for Altered States. You have not seen a movie like this. Um, <laughs> it's interesting, too, when we finally get to the famous transformation. Uh, initially, he, instead of kicking down the door to some new knowledge, some sort of, you know, game-changing enlightenment, 
he physically regresses to a Neanderthal. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah. I've always taken it. And again, I saw this at a young age when he was glitching in and out of reality. That was some version of him doing the opposite of that, starting to progress into the future. But his brain couldn't handle what a future human felt and was like because it was just so different. Uh, and these are some heavy ideas to be pouring, you know, into people's heads. It's also interesting to me that it's got a, a fan in the drug community. I mean, I know it's about drugs and, and hallucinating, but I don't know that it's a very positive portrayal of that. I don't know that I watch Altered States and I say, gee, I want to do that. <laughs> I, I, I do not. It's not, it's not dazed and confused or uh, I don't know. Well, it's not oh, fun. God. It would be a bad trip. You'd think it would. It would be like yikes, you know. <laughs> give Give me a nice, nice, friendly Pixar cartoon, man. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it is undeniably fascinating, and I think worth watching. Uh, there's some aesthetic hurdles to get over, but that's the main thing to get over. I, yeah, I, I think of this lit, list of six. If I was to recommend one movie to somebody who's maybe not a fan of the retro horror to, you know, paint it with a broad brush here, I, I would say Altered States would be the one I would recommend to, to more people than any of the others on the list, even though I'm, it may or may not be the top of my list. All right, all right, well, to be continued. Terror you can feel. Heart-stopping suspense that makes this the nightmare that never ends. Something crazy is going on at the tourist trap. band is uh, a figure in horror movies I mean some people really love him some people really hate him his whole raison d'etre is to make horror movies as cheaply as possible but I'm talking like even Roger Corman might blush a little bit at the corners that get cut in the full moon features sort of catalog and they don't do unambitious movies these are the people that bring you the doll man franchise and like uh, these rather ambitious like ideas for horror movies but they do them for two dollars and mainly uh, release them direct to video and they kind of for their time and i mean they still exist but they're in that niche they're like trauma or like um asylum where part of their badge is that yeah we do horror movies cheap deal with it I prefer them in a way to Trauma and Asylum because at least Full Moon Features, in my mind, tries to make legit movies. Like, they handicap themselves by making the budget so weak and the acting so terrible, usually. But they're earnestly trying to make a horror movie. Whereas Trauma will wink at you and say, look how stupid and cheesy we're being. Full Moon mm -hmm. really wants to bring you the goods. And there are people who really do like Full Moon. 
I'm not one of them. I prefer my my bad films to be unintentionally bad. <laughs> and uh, like I do think that there's something to be said for understanding your budget. If you're a micro-budget movie, that's fine. Know that you're a micro-budget movie and behave like it. But every now and then, Charles Band and his production company actually kick one out that works for me. And this is one of their very earliest ones. It's called Tourist Trap. And it does work for me. It's weird that it works for me because there's all of this stuff that shouldn't work. Like, there's a real chaos to the movie. Is it a slasher movie? Is it a supernatural movie? Is it about madness? Is it about, you know, going to the wrong place at the wrong time? I think we all know the idea of this sort of out of you know, out-of-the-way place that uh, basically is a convenience, convenience store or a restaurant, and then attached to it, it has a bunch of displays, like a, an adorable, you know, garage sale version of a museum. And it'll usually have some local history or local color into it. And they are kind of charming and kind of sad and kind of pathetic, all wrapped up in a nice little bow. Um, they're just, you know, people sort of trying to make their area of the world special. And, and uh, it's the, the equivalent, I think, of, you know, the small towns we have in Saskatchewan that have big things outside of them. Now, our town has the world's biggest pierogi in front of it, and our town has the world's biggest, I don't know, horseshoe in front of it. It's, it's charming, but also kind of sad. But an interesting, like, what kind of guy runs that place? And what kind of guy really likes his corner of the world so much that he's going to basically define himself by it? In this case, we have a family that sort of were running this place. And once they moved the highway, which is a classic thing, just like in Psycho, they moved the highway away, all of their madness seemed to be exacerbated. But the mannequins add a real wild card for me. I don't typically think that I'm scared of mannequins. Like, as a rule, I worked at a department store and I would be there after hours. Didn't have a problem with the mannequins in the front or in the storeroom. Never really thought about it. Never really bothered me. But the mannequins in this movie, I think, are super creepy. <laughs> and I think for a slasher movie with a PG rating, it has surprising teeth. I saw it at a young age, and I never forgot it. Again, it's of its time. It is is what it is, and I certainly don't want to oversell it. But I think, for its modest ambition, Tourist Trap totally works. Am I crazy? I think it... It's, it, it makes you feel uncomfortable. So you mentioned Psycho. I would also mention a couple of horror movies, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, it has that kind of feel to it. Uh, and as far as the mannequins, in some ways it reminds me a little bit of House of Wax, um, the remake of House of Wax, I guess. Uh, and it's just because the, these mannequins are are too human and the mannequins you would have been dealing with were quite obviously mannequins. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not normally, it almost feels like a gimmick in most films, but I think that separates it from being just God awful to being, yeah, kind of, you know, it's, uh, I could say I was creeped out. I can say that, you know, I was kind of freaked out by things and I was made to feel uncomfortable. And if horror is supposed to do that, it was successful in that way. Uh, just the stuff that I sometimes get kind of picky about, like story 
script, direction, acting are problematic in here. Um, <laughs> Just the story, is, script, the acting, and directing? That's all? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> but I got the creepy feeling from it, so... Uh, so I'll give it points for that. So I, I, I'm trying hard to not be too negative. Uh, you can be as negative I, as you want, man. Like yeah, this is this felt the most retro of the movies that we've seen, and this this is the most '70s of the movies. Um, and it really doesn't have you're right. It doesn't have much polish. Um, Chuck Connors is the guy running running this tourist trap or whatever. Uh, and I, he's just a cartoon. It's just absolutely ridiculous, but maybe not. I, I sometimes am okay with cartoons, not as much here. Just every time he comes in, I, I can see him acting and I'm, I, I feel like I should be more afraid of him than I am. And there's nothing in there that really surprised me either because I've seen enough of these movies. Um, and I'm just, like anybody who trusts this guy, I, I don't understand. Have you been paying any attention to what's been going on? Mind you, I mean, you have a line there that people who are in horror movies don't realize they're in horror movies. So Usually. I guess they're just, this is an eccentric, lonely old man who runs this place. So we should just take him as such. I kind of, what, one of the problems with some of these movies is where I, I can't seem to connect with somebody that I like. We do have um, who I somebody who I pegged as our survivor girl in here. There was this um, uh, the, the blonde-haired girl who was kind of nice to Chuck Connors at the beginning. Yeah. And so far, so, so she doesn't immediately get uh, like she she has some freaky scenes, but uh, the others get worse treatment, I would say, as we go along. And you know they're going to because they they laugh at him behind his back and they're they're doing all the things you're not supposed to do in a, in a movie like this. They're disrespectful, but, uh, but they don't deserve what they're getting. Also, that the the main character has this sort of good old boy ah shucks cowboy thing. He used to mm -hmm. star apparently in an old western TV show. Uh, he had a he had a career. This is not you know where he, his big break. This is where he washed up was tourist trap, um, but. I don't think, brother. yeah, I don't think it was a surprise. You're right that the, the guy that you know keeps on going out of his way to separate these group of teenagers who stop at the wrong place to fix a flat tire, and one of them goes missing, and they're basically stuck there. Very Texas Chainsaw Massacre in premise, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, I don't think we're surprised by that twist. But I think that we're expected that the characters are to be. For mm -hmm. me, the weirdness is, well, like I said, the mannequins, like when all the mannequins start whispering right before one of them are going to be killed, like, what was that about? Where did that even come from? Or some of the psychic carry kills that happens at the very beginning, one guy gets like doors are opening and closing and shit's flying across the room. Yep. So like, okay, so he's not just a serial killer. He's not just some guy who went crazy. There is something supernatural he does know that he's got a split personality at some points, but then there are other points where he really doesn't seem... Like, mm -hmm. a lot of it seems like there was too many people throwing too many different ideas and they just kept all of them, whether or not they made sense. And, like, you're right. Like, it's discordant. It doesn't make sense. And I would be more upset with it if I didn't think somehow it works for me. I don't think it was even on purpose, <laughs> Jason. Like, I don't like... <laughs> 
the whispering mannequins <laughs> are, was creepy. And somebody on set said, wouldn't it be creepy if the mannequins whispered? And they all agreed. They didn't ask why the mannequins whispered, <laughs> right? But they just, they did it. Let's do it, right? Yeah. A and yeah. Uh, yeah. it's this uncanny valley thing. There also is, I think, a legit creepy kill when he suffocates this one woman with the, yes. the mask or the plasters, like... He has her on the table with everything covered except for eyes and nose and her mouth and nose. And he tells her what he's going to do. And then he does it and she dies. Yes. And it's brutal. It's a PG kill. It's not a bloody kill, but it's it's icky. It's like not a good thing to watch. It's it's a very ugly sequence. But I mean, that, that I was I was we're, I was looking for a cap, you know, capital H horror with this uh, group of movies. And, and I got it here. So. Again, I think the horror factor is strong. I think you're absolutely right. But yeah, there are some really strange. You, you mentioned that opening sequence is very odd. Plus, we had that that voice and that like that voice acting and the was very distracting. So it was kind of like announcing to to us this is not going to be a great movie, but uh, you know go along for the ride if you if you dare. I, I would probably have trouble recommending this to a, you know, a ton of people, in, unless they are horror fans and they're, they're fans of low, low budget, seventies horror. I mean, I, so I, I can't quite recommend it. Yet there's a part of me that wants to recommend some moments in it. Right. If that makes. No, I get you. And again, I, 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 it's one of these movies, like, I can be so hard on a $200 million science fiction movie, right? <laughs> I will be so shitty to it. But, like, a $200,000 scrappy horror movie that, like, somehow accidentally manages a few moments of magic, for some reason that excites me more than, yeah. than a ho-hum big budget. So, like, am I giving this more rope than I maybe should? Yeah, and like uh, the whole time I'm giving this movie, and I, I do give it a conditional thumbs up review, I, I'm, I'm kind of bemused by it. It's one of those movies that like, it works for me in spite of itself, but there's something intensely charming and strange about <laughs> Tourist Trap for me, <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, I guess just and in general for a movie like this, just maybe you can explain it to me just why the acting is generally as bad as it is. Like I can, I can sort of understand why some other stuff is is a little bit of a mess, and you you don't have the budget to to do other things. But why is the acting? Because you made, you know, Book of Trespasses, and the acting's very good in Book of Trespasses, and you made that on a on a budget, right? right. Um, well, it's all a matter of who you know. Like, like they got this this you know old time cowboy to star as their killer and that was the name that they got for the movie yeah. right everybody well that's not true one of the girls in the movie was a charlie's angel at one point apparently mm -hmm. but that was before my time that certainly wasn't the reason i watched the movie but a lot of the time with these low budget movies the production money gets spent on the effects and the sets and they're not as fussy about the cast. They can't lure in big stars unless they spend a third of their budget on the star. And mm -hmm. they would rather spend the money elsewhere. And a lot of times, instead of going through even the bother of cast, having a casting person, right? They just, who can we get? Who do we know? Oh, I know a guy mm -hmm. who was in a, in, a, in a play once. 
Hell, uh, George Romero, two of the main stars of Dawn of the Dead, were working in a restaurant Romero was at. And uh, one of them was waiting at his table, and, and he heard that they were doing auditions, and he asked if he could audition. And the other one was in the kitchen, and when he heard that the waiter was auditioning, asked if he could audition too. Two of the four main characters of Dawn of the Dead got that. Okay. I'm not saying that's good. In fact, some of the acting in Dawn of the Dead's wonky too, but I'm saying that's how it was done. They like they would make do with what they got. I happened to grow up in the theater community and in, did studying at the drama department and I've got a lot of friends who are good actors. So that was a card I could I could play. But not everybody knows yeah. a lot not everybody has like a, a lot of good actors in their immediate friend group. That was just me being mm-hmm. lucky. Obviously, Charles Band at this point in his career didn't have a lot of really great actors around him. Um, in a way, the over-the-top crazy th- performance is such part of the 80s aesthetic that even though I recognize it as being kind of cringy, I, part of me likes it too. And even a bad performance adds to the strange, perfect aesthetic of an 80s yeah. movie. It's weird. Again, I'm making excuses and I shouldn't. Is there bad performances in this movie? Yeah. Does it make sense wall to wall? No. Did I enjoy myself watching it? Yes. And that's the main thing. <laughs> I just completely discredited myself as a critic. Boom. Warning. This preview cannot show all of the terrifying and grotesque transformation sequences from the last 30 minutes of The Beast Within. The filmmakers strongly suggest that those who may be shocked by this unique, horrifying movie use caution when seeing the film. There's something inside of Michael. Never seen anything like it before. Something that's been waiting, watching and growing. Michael? Something evil. I know you're in here. And whatever it is, it is ready to be released. I have such a clear picture in my mind of this VHS shell case of the beast within. It had such a scary picture on the cover of it, and it was infamous. It had this crazy transformation sequence in it. Uh, this was popular in the early 80s, largely due to uh, An American Werewolf in London and The Howling, that they would do a really sort of show-stopping transformation sequence. In a way, that in itself could justify a movie. Even the advertising for The Beast Within recognizes how but like top heavy the movie is saying the last 30 minutes of this movie has some of the most crazy special effects you've ever seen. It does have some pretty crazy, uh, you know, of the era practical special effects. But in the end, The Beast Within, when I finally got to watch it and finally get to, you know, see it and, you know, having it all built up in my mind, it is fundamentally disappointing and kind of impressive at the same time. Like, there is really cool special effects in it. And the story is kind of pleasingly crazy. It's it's bonkers. <laughs> it's like a were cicada <laughs> that we're dealing with here, and that's really strange. But in the end, especially watching The Beast Within in 2020, I, I, I'm like this sort of nostalgic charm that I found in some of these other titles. I felt myself thinking one word over and over and over in my head. 
remake, remake, remake. And it's weird because I don't think this movie relies on the 80s aesthetic as much as the other ones. No. It is fundamentally a tragic story that could have been interesting. They just chose to go another way with it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, A couple have car troubles outside the bayou and the husband, Ronnie Cox, goes to get some... uh, mechanic or tow truck and while he's away the his dog is murdered and his wife is raped by some crazy creature it's not particularly graphic in 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 its portrayal it's not gonna like spoil your meal i've said in the past on the podcast i'm not particularly a fan of rape in movies but it is a story point we fast forward to 16 years later and their teenage son is having a bunch of bizarre medical issues that they can't seem to understand. And out of desperation, they finally uncork the secret that, that his mother was raped by this, this, well, she called it a creature. He had to assume it was a man, but they look into it. There's a whole community. There's a whole conspiracy behind it. We know exactly mm-hmm. where the movie's going. We know exactly what's going to happen. We know exactly how it's going to resolve. And we're completely right about all of it. And we have a show-stopping transformation sequence. And especially in the time it came out, it was quite impressive. But in the end, emotionally, the movie doesn't connect. And it's a tragedy. Essentially, we have, like... This kid, through no wrong of his own, through some forced genetic, you know, possession, becomes Mm -hmm. a creature and kills people. And he begs his parents to kill him, to stop him from becoming this monster. But the parents, Mm -hmm. it's their son. As far as they're concerned, he's not a monster. They know who he is. There's a lot of real dramatic stakes and a lot of real, you know, empathy and drama to be brought out of that. But what we get is a very simplistic monster movie and a very simplistic Mambi Pambi, the communities covering their secrets and the powers that be. And I don't know. I just wish that the movie could have lived up to how excited I was about it when I was that little kid in that video store looking at it. It's a movie that I want to be better than it is. And maybe before that, for that reason, I'm more angry at it than I should be, but I end up kind of disappointed with the beast within while dropping the caveat that it has a couple of truly awesome moments. That's it. That's all. That's where I start. I, you certainly had a different journey with this movie than I have. <laughs> I was just, as you were describing it, and I really in, enjoyed that introduction a lot. Um, I, 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 you introduced me to you and Lee introduced me to a this wonderfully dark horror movie called the children. Right, <laughs> and so the stakes of parents having to kill their kids has a lot of potential. It has a lot of potential, uh, but that's not realized here. So I I didn't have any history of because I know that exact feeling that you have about you saw this movie you wanted to see on the shelf at the video store. And either you weren't allowed, they wouldn't let you rent it, or you couldn't get an adult to rent it for you, or whatever. So, built up, built up, like it's going to be absolutely spectacular. Um, and it turns out to be this. Here, I, I was kind of in, this is at the tail end of watching these six movies. And this is the other one I would say that looks professionally made. I think it, you know, 
the way it looks, I mean, you can tell it's the 80s, but it does hold up compared to a, a few of the other movies that we're looking at. Uh, I I really didn't like it at all. Um, and I by that point, I was excited because I had been enjoying myself with some movies that I never thought, just based on the surface, that I would end up enjoying. And uh, this one frustrated me. I don't know what exactly it was that frustrated me, but I think part of the problem is, and you, you do have to feel bad for this boy who is stuck with this curse, uh, but I didn't care about him at all. Like, he was not that interesting. I don't think um, he's much of an actor. I don't know actor. if that's the actor's fault. Yeah. I don't think that he's no, much of an that, actor. This may be it. I think Ronnie Cox, his dad, is really good. He, I, I feel for his position and like, like that character. Yeah. Like he's committed to his wife, and no matter where his son came from, he loves his son. At no point does he, you know, throw in the towel and say, you know, my son is a monster. At no point does he accept it, and at no point would you. And again, in a better movie, even in like this movie, this very story, as strange as it is, that could be so powerful. And I do minimally feel for him, but you talk again about the abrupt ending. His son gets his head blown off in front of him, and he hugs his wife, mm -hmm. and the credits roll. <laughs> you know, and we don't yeah. we don't get to, to to feel the the tragedy of it. And uh, I do think I don't know if they cast this guy because he was willing to go through the hell that it would have been to do this prosthetic effects in the 80s they used to use like glass uh for the lenses on your eye instead of the, whatever material they use now and a lot of actors really fucked up their eyes from using those things and the process of those prosthetics fake skin in front of you with like air bladders underneath that they can inflate apparently it's just an awful experience to go through and it takes oh, days yeah. takes days to shoot so they probably found a guy who was willing to put subject himself to that and then cast around him i don't know that jason i'm just saying that i don't think he has the chops as an actor to pull off what is being asked of him um and yeah i mean that sucks but that's yeah. how i feel I mean, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Ronnie Cox. That's the best performance, hands down, in the movie. We just have a bunch of small town archetypes. We got we have a, a corrupt judge. Um, oh, who, who was it? Early in the movie, there's when he, they go to the, like the I don't know if it's a police station or the town hall or newspaper or something, and there's this this woman in there, and she's going for the the Southern caricature acting Olympics. I mean that every. Oh. It is so, so over the top in places there, but I guess I, I just again can't pick on pick on the acting too much here. Um, I mean, they they got one one face in there. I, I kind of cared about the the girlfriend, even though she's her entire role is to be the girlfriend. She's in the her father is abusive, and there's this whole other piece to that, which is connected to the plot there, and. Like, they're screaming, like, get out of town, but then she's not able to. Uh, I mean, wh where I was stuck on it is the movie starts with a rape and ends with a rape. It's and true. I don't know if they're they were thinking they would franchise this. <laughs> uh, it, it just screamed, okay, there'll be a sequel, and this, this cycle continues that I'm sure 
this he, girl is now pregnant and uh, exactly 16 and years from again. now this is all gonna start all over again it's sort of that dun 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 but the movie yeah. and I, I say this to its credit does not make a meal out of this whole raped by a monster thing in fact it, it's crazy how strangely similarly both of those things are shot we see the woman fall down or thrown down in the mud we see her clothes torn free and then we <laughs> cut away uh, you know, a different movie would have given us more than we wanted, certainly more than I wanted. And it was, for better or for worse, a necessary, you know, part of the story. It's a plot point. You know, yeah. as much as I complain about, you know, frivolous romances in, 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 in other movies, you know, uh, in, in Terminator, the, that couple <laughs> has to have sex so that they can, you know, give birth to the, the savior of the future. And that's an important plot point. You, you can justify mm -hmm. these things. It's gross, it's nasty, but it is a gross, nasty, exploitation monster movie. Um, so again, uh, it's, it doesn't necessarily make me comfortable, but it's not something that I'm going to shame the movie for or admonish it for. That, that's the story they were to telling, and they weren't as exploitive as they could have been. They weren't not mm -hmm. exploitive, but they certainly weren't as exploitive as they could have been. But that's pretty faint praise. Yeah. Uh, listen to the trailer. If you're curious at all about this movie, it says the last 30 minutes of this movie is so grueling and intense. Yeah, you can watch the last 30 minutes. You'll, by context, understand what the first hour was. And in the end, you won't have missed that much, but you will have seen the juicy 80s special effects. That is not I, high praise. <laughs> I, I would much rather see the last 30 minutes of Terror Train, to be honest. Right. Yeah, a totally different movie, and maybe that's not a fair comparison, but I just, yeah, I, the, most of the characters were one or two-dimensional in nature. I didn't care about character I was supposed to care about, and I wasn't particularly scared by anything or impressed. I, yeah, I guess the, the special effects are all right, but, um, you know, uh, like Altered States, despite its pace, is way, way more interesting than this movie. Agreed. Agreed. Again, like, I'm not making a lot of excuses for it. I wish that The Beast Within was the movie I wanted it to be. It is not. Mm -hmm. Good enough? Remake. 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 Before the initiation begins, the subjects are studied. Even their dreams are recorded. Before the initiation begins, the testing areas are selected. The sorority house, the sanitarium, the empty shopping mall. And just before the initiation begins, a toast is required. Being young, staying young, and dying young. The initiation. A fraternal tradition for over 100 years. Created for only one purpose. Pleasant dreams. The initiation. The ceremony that will never die as long as new blood is pledged. Never will die. So here's the interesting thing for me about the initiation. Uh, it's a fairly well-remembered, you know, if very familiar slasher movie of the 80s. 
that I somehow, even though I was a fervent fan of the genre at the time, missed. This is an 80s slasher movie that I caught up with in the last five or ten years. I don't have this fun attachment to it from my youth. And I'm wondering if that's why I like it. <laughs> um, <laughs> because it, it really does, it feels like it would fit right in with like that kind of thing that I would have rented and felt forbidden when I was a kid. There is like every cliche imaginable for a cliche movie in this. And it does have the, you know, 1980s superfluous titty. <laughs> like, like, yeah. Where I was saying in the previous review, they had some nudity, but there was context for it, at least justified by the story. This is the type of movie that will cut to a woman in a shower for no good goddamn reason. This is the kind of movie where a woman will see a shirt on a mannequin in the in the in the store that they're crashing in at the night and just steal the shirt off it and change in front of us for no yeah. reason. There's kind of like an uh, like hilarious level of exploitation to the movie, which I have to mm -hmm. say made me laugh and I kind of weirdly found charming. However, you know, unpolitically correct that might be. It was it would almost be like a, like a movie nowadays could make a joke out of that if they had like a running gag where just for no yeah. reason we cut to titty and like this movie's definitely guilty of that. Um, it's that's not the reason to like the movie either. It also no, no, has no. some interesting faces in it. Clue Gallagher, his guy I love, he's like a character actor. He was in you know such immortal movies as as uh, Return of the Living Dead and Nightmare on Elm Street Two. But he's got this unmistakable mug and unmistakable delivery. Always like to see him. Vera Miles, famous classic vintage yeah. Hitchcock actress, and of course mm -hmm. the introduction of Daphne Zuniga. As it turns out, surprise, spoilers everyone playing two roles in this movie for her film debut. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a lot of bumps in the road. There's a lot of familiar stuff, you know. Uh, I really remember being off-put by the opening. There's a whole sequence where uh, these girls get woken up and all of these women are chanting whatever their Greek Alpha Omega chant to join the stupid... Yeah. And man i swear it goes on like forever they do this chant for like it feels like the first 10 minutes of the movie and i was like oh dude if they do this for the whole movie uh i'm not gonna be happy it's interesting that like i don't know why they called the movie the initiation in the end of the like it's so much more about this girl you know finding out this riddle from her past and this relevation of this thing that she witnessed uh, wasn't maybe necessarily something that she did, but maybe that her twin sister did, who got committed, who her parents decided to not tell her about for reasons that don't make sense. But all of that is more interesting than this whole, you know, campus initiation plot storyline. I just don't know why they hung the movie on the initiation, not the lost daughter, not the tragic past. It just, it seems a strange choice. For all the flaws... I guess... I, for all the flaws, I kind of like... I, 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 I mean... I think there are a million other titles they could have for sure. Here's my attempt at defending it. I'm not going to defend it too hard. Mm -hmm. uh, the initiation involves breaking into uh, the 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 main the main girl's rich father's shopping center store department store, and so that's the initiation, and that's where the bulk of the the action in the movie happens. So that's the initiation, I guess. But. Uh, 
yeah, there could there could be another title for it, and that that would be perfectly fine. Because then I would, to me, it's like the invited, the initiation. There's so many the horror movies that yeah. kind of gets lost as a result of that. Oh, and I, yeah, I. Titles can be tricky. I get it. I mean, it's not a real like, oh, how dare they? It just like of all the angles they were playing in the story, that didn't seem like such a big deal. Yeah. But it's another case of me, you know, growing up in this era and just kind of being charmed by it. None of the choices that are being made by this film are choices that would be made by a film that was made today. And for me, that <laughs> makes the movie kind of absurd and entertaining. Um, yeah, it's got its foolish moments, and yeah, like, it keeps on trying to lead you directions that you know are false, <laughs> you know? This whole mm -hmm. guy with the burned face that's following Daphne's nigga character around, there's just no way he's the killer, you guys. There's just <laughs> no way he's the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, like, they point to that, and they have a scene, <laughs> it's one of these really bad scenes in, uh, in a mental institution, I guess, uh, really early in the film. And then we see him in the garden and some nurses who are supposed to be like this uh, B-movie nurse ratchet or something is scoffing at him, like looking in or whatever. And then we hear about this escape that happens and we're just kind of not quite sure what it's about, but it's, it's a little bit of a false lead. I, I don't know why I'm... I'm this and Terror uh, Train are the two movies that I'm letting a lot of stuff pass because I was just so entertained by it. Um, I'll allow my, yeah, whatever side to come out to, like the uh, mid-80s or not. These are very, very attractive women in this movie, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, like, the, the one... The one, uh, the one friend in there, like, she... She kept reminding me of Taylor Swift for some reason. I don't know why. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the I know who you're talking about. The one reason that... roller skates and yeah, and, and then uh, the main girl and what, what's the actor's name too? I'm, I have to Daphne, so Daphne Zuniga. Daphne Zuniga plays yeah. the main character. Yeah. Yeah, and she's a very attractive uh, young woman too, and yeah. as portrayed in this movie. Um, I, I probably should have. It's it's weird. I probably should have seen uh, the, the the plot twist at the end coming, but I I I didn't. And this was that's why I like it in a first pass with all of these. So then they get equal weight here. So some of the movies I knew exactly what was going to happen, even though how they got there wasn't as obvious. This one, it, it once it happened, it was like oh okay that makes sense because when it's first revealed with the plot twist, I'm like. No, that's that's illogical. There's no way that that could have happened. Like, oh, okay, we yeah, we went for spoilers, folks. The twin thing. Yeah, you know, we well, went for the twin evil twin idea, and that's. But what, I, I didn't even mind that. I I really didn't mind it. What you think is happening, or what they want you to think is happening, is that this guy who's stalking her is doing all these kills. But then they want you to think, oh, super twist, she's doing all the kills. But logically, with what we've seen, that doesn't make sense. So, boom, she has a twin that we've not seen until the last seconds of the movie. And her parents have lied to her about this for her entire life for reasons. I mean, I guess her twin sister ended up inadvertently killing her dad. And the, the guy she thinks is her dad was actually the lover. It gets very complicated. It, it is very 
and silly yeah, and, and convoluted and and again yeah. why the parents would choose to handle it this way it, it's as dumb as the beast within which you and i were just admonishing really hardcore mm -hmm. but there's something goofy yeah. and charming about initiation where there's something kind it of is. ugly it and is. stilted about the beast within this yes. is the kind of yeah. 80s movie that they that like everybody pays homage to with modern horror movies they're always like saying how much they love these types of movies but at the same time, if someone was to make a movie like this today, they would be shunned. Oh, how dare you be so exploitive? How dare you be so mm -hmm. obvious with your filmmaking? You know what? I'm at the point where I would totally be into just a bone-straight slasher movie, right? And that's mm -hmm. what this is. That'd be nice. It's got a little bit more, you know, unnecessary nudity than it needs, but that's kind of charming. It's got a couple of interesting character after faces, which adds to the flavor of the stew. There's some bad characterizations in it, which again kind of adds to like there's weird threads to the to the storyline that don't seem to pay off. The major bitch of the movie, I don't really feel gets a proper recompense ever. Like there, there's there's just a lot of stuff that, that that go unanswered, and the movie is sloppy. I guess yeah. it's similarly to how I was talking was about the tourist trap for me in that. What whatever about this movie that works for me might not have been entirely on purpose. It just might be this kismet of all of these things falling together in this perfect way. And maybe if I saw it even in 1985 or whenever it came out, I might not have liked it as much then. <laughs> but when I when I got my hands on a copy of this a few years ago and watched it, man, I had a huge smile on my face and I just kept the popcorn coming in. Is it highly? Yeah. It's not highly memorable, but it, it gets the job done. It's entertainment. <laughs> Me too. I really enjoyed it. I mean, there's, again, there's a, a couple of these, like, huge sequences involving the psychology professor. Right. Uh, was kind of whatever type of relationship with uh, with this undergraduate um, main character and uh, and is trying to help her with her analyze her dreams because she keeps having the same nightmare over and over again, which relates to this event that becomes important. Um, and I, I thought, plus there was this uh, research assistant who seemed to be screaming to me. This is for whatever reason she'll be maybe she's attacking people because she's jealous and she wants the attention of this professor. But that that stuff kind of goes different than I expected and. And that's okay, but that could also be viewed as a little bit of a diversion from from the main the main idea of the film. But there's, I didn't mind it. I, I like that stuff. There's something crazy about that scientist's uh, assistant character. Was her name Heidi? I can't remember. She looks so 80s. Like she looks like she's dying yeah. of 80s. She strangely <laughs> reminded me of the character Barb from Stranger Things, the late lamented Barb character, who's just okay, like yeah. like. Her in 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 inner insecurities are so represented by her outer appearance that it, it it's it it feels like hilariously on the nose. But I don't even know if it was on purpose. Like uh, when they made the movie, were we supposed to laugh on sight at that character? And she's giving credible information, like she's giving credible plot points. But I just think she's fucking hilarious. <laughs> I don't know why. I think if this was a comedy, Melissa McCarthy, or maybe a younger Melissa McCarthy, would play that role. I mean, that's it's, kind of what it made me think. But I, I thought there would be more of a payoff with her. 
Yeah, she's like a character that wandered out of, like, Napoleon Dynamite into this movie. Like, out of fucking nowhere. But again, it's it's a not unwelcome ingredient. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. If I if I think about this movie too much, uh, it I'm falls be, apart. Like, questioning why I enjoyed it. But I, I, this is another one where I'm not prepared to fight with it, and I just had such a good time with it that it's, uh, it's a very positive review. So, yeah, and... It was a nice surprise because I, again, that first scene or first couple of scenes, you're right. When we're seeing that cult-like uh, sorority thing happen and yes. I'm just like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to dig this movie. But then, yeah, keep watching after the first 10 minutes and uh, I think you'll enjoy it. It's an is what it is movie. It is what it is. And if you like that, enjoy. Soon the world will awake to a terrifying riptide of humanoids from the deep. We think we know where these things come from, but we have no idea how many there are. The Earth plunges into a battle for the survival of the fittest, where man is the endangered species and woman the ultimate prize. you hide anytime you stop they will find you doug mcclure and Terkel, vic morrow humanoids from the deep humanoids from the deep this is where we're going to finish our uh, our six ranks today and I've been talking a lot about these. a lot of these movies have stuff in them that we just don't see anymore and whether or not maybe that's a good or bad thing. This is a bluntly simple, like, 78-minute Roger Corman, you know, cheapy exploitation feature about fish monsters that come out of the ocean, they rape women, and they kill men. And that's it. I mean, we get to know a little bit of this community, and there's some, like, really racist characters, and there's a Native That's American very... character, and hilariously, the arc of the movie seems to be, like, yeah, the Native guy uh, could be causing problems for the community, and yeah, the racist guy is really racist, but in the end of the day, they're both okay guys. Like, in spite of being racist, he's okay, and in spite of being Native, he's okay. It's just, like, laughably out of tune hilariously out of tune enjoyably out of tune like mm -hmm. i can understand someone who wants to be offended by this being offended by that and if you're not offended by that then you can be offended by the amount of women who again are getting raped by fish monsters or are running and inexplicably as they're running their boobs are falling out of their shirts it is it's full frontal too it's yeah not, oh it's yeah too. they go all out they go all out it's hard to quantify, like, the, the level of exploitation and, like, cheesiness. But there's also craft here. Like, I, I do have to say, it's not poorly made. The special effects were made by um, uh, Rob Bottin, who did The Thing and, like, Robocop. And, like, he would did, went on to do amazing stuff. Um, and the score... Yeah, it was Howard Shore. H Howard Shore. Again, another yeah. guy who would go on to great things. 
it, it's when one I of saw these. That, I was blown away. Yeah. yeah, that was the biggest name in the movie. <laughs> it's one of those things where, like, a lot of people before they really hit, kind of came together to do this movie. Um, also interesting, Vic Morrow is in that he he's the gentleman who ended up losing his life while filming the uh, Twilight Zone, the movie. He played the... Oh, wow. And once again, much like he was in Twilight Zone, he was playing a racist character in this movie. <laughs> um, but it, the movie's not about the redemption of a racist character. The movie's not about, you know... You know <laughs> you, it's not about anything except for sea monsters attacking people. And it yeah. doesn't yeah, apologize they... for that. Apparently they only had three suits, so during the big attack on the festival carnival thing, there's a lot of, you know, corners being cut to try and maximize the amount of monster carnage. And I can't defend a lot of the decisions made in the movie. Uh, it is gross, it is exploitive, it is unnecessary, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. I don't, I'm sorry, it's just how I feel, like, uh, it's not for all tastes, some people won't like it, I don't even always like it, and when I said at the introduction of this, like, this is the kind of movie that doesn't get made and maybe shouldn't, I kind of stand by that, but I stand by the maybe. <laughs> I get why people get offended by this, but I like to think that, you know, there wasn't a Harvey Weinstein on set, and that everybody who was making this movie knew what they were making and were you know, game, right? Yeah. So it's a hard movie to review. It's objectively bad, but I enjoy it. So <laughs> that's where I start <laughs> with Humanoids from the Deep. Yeah. Well, to me, there, there were two movies that were obviously low budget uh, of the six here. And this one in, in Tourist Trap, and I enjoy this one way more. <laughs> um, because, yeah, I just put my brain on hold and just just enjoy the sea creatures attacking the people on this island it was uh like a, a fishing island i kind of like i'm a bit of a sucker for those stories set in those types of communities it starts off with a little bit of an edge i mean the first two first few victims are a, a little red-headed boy and uh and then a bunch of dogs like you kill a ton of dogs it, it has one of those stupid cat scares that yep. uh, is yeah, unfortunately, is a knock against it. Um, you mentioned everybody kind of knew what was happening. As I understand it, and I, I'm sorry, I don't have IMDb in front of me to mention the actor's name. The one who plays the the female scientist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she she actually said that she'd signed up for a very intelligent science fiction film, <laughs> and with no sex and no nudity at all. And as it what it sounds like is after like the main part of the story was filmed, a bunch of these sex scenes, like the that really strange scene with that couple in the tent with the, the right. guy with the ventriloquist. Or that the ventriloquist, was bizarre. <laughs> made no sense at all. Uh, they just added a ton of this uh, gratuitous nudity. I mean, this is the most exploitative of the movies we've talked about as far as, but it's Roger Corman. So what you expect, you know, uncredited Roger Corman was connected to this. Uh, but yeah, she, she, and like, I understand her part is kind of about how uh, a greedy corporation ends up polluting the water and creating this monster for the sake of whatever experiments they were doing. It's a little bit of a gimmick for the sci-fi angle, but, um, but it's a lot of fun. And like the, the, the climactic sequence, it pays off. If you're, if you're looking for uh, 
just brainless B movie entertainment. This is a big, big thumbs up. There's this really um, pervy DJ. Yeah. They're, they're having this big festival, which, again, much like in Jaws, uh, they they shouldn't, with this problem they're having, you know, they, the authorities say, oh, no, we can still have this major festival, even though it's not a good idea. Anyway, this DJ is um, basically hating on every woman that he can and making these really uh, sexist comments. And so then his... It's very satisfying to see him uh, get killed in the way that he does. It is, but at the same time, I can't help, and I wondered as I was watching the movie, when he says about the whoever, Miss So-and-so of the state, or like the the woman who was the, the prettiest woman of the community and was being represented at the fair... He says live on the radio, I've got her here with me, uh, so I might have my hands full. <laughs> I don't think we were supposed to judge him for that when we watched this movie in 1980. I honestly think that was supposed to be endearing. I mean, yeah, it gets turned around later when the fish monster attacks. He does try to protect that girl, and the first thing that girl does when the monsters show up is drop her top. <laughs> but... Uh... <laughs> But yeah, he does get killed. Yeah. But, but in a way, I, I I don't know if we were supposed to go at the time. Yeah, we do now. But I wonder if at the time we were supposed to go. Yeah, like the Vic Morrow character is highly problematic. He hates the native mm-hmm. character because he's native, and the native character does have a point. These these fisheries are destroying the environment. He can yes. he can shut it down and probably should. And the Vic Morrow character goes to the point of blowing up the guy's house and trying to kill him and in spite of that the movie asks us to not hate this character he was just mm-hmm. doing what was best for the community yeah he might be a rapist or oh, sorry rapist he might be a racist attempted racist. a racist attempted murderer but at the end of the day he's not that bad you guys well you know what at the end of the day he's terrible he's terrible he is terrible and it's so crazy that when this movie was made that like they wanted to be balanced about this yeah, yeah. Attempted murder. Yeah, yeah. Racism. Whatever. And again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm asking too much of the movie. The movie is about fish monsters attacking people. Mm-hmm. And I, in a way, I'm more bothered by that than I am about the, the exploit of like the nudity in the movie. Again, mm-hmm. for what it's worth, the creatures are like some water version of Bigfoot. They're human enough that they don't know how to repopulate amongst themselves. So they're going to try to repopulate with, with us. It's motivated. It's gross, but it's part of the story in a in a way that you know makes adds to the horror, adds to something, uh, and uh, you know gives them the excuse to have all of these scenes of exploitation. Yes, of course, yeah. this young couple's going to go to a remote beach to get busy, and yes, of course, the guy's going to get killed and the woman's going to get raped. Um, again, uh, much like I said in the Beast Within, I think they could have been nastier with that than they were. But it's still, it's. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's ugly. It's not. Yeah. It's not something that, if if it's a trigger for you, stay far, far away. Yeah, I, I can't recommend much like you know tourist trap. I I just can't recommend this to a, a broad group of, of people that I know. But uh, the ones that I I can, I think will will enjoy this for what it is. Yeah. Um, the other half of that that story about the actor who played the scientist, she actually tried to get. The movie not to be released she tried to stop it from release that's how much she was oh wow uh she was unaware of what 
movie she was in. So when you said that preamble about, well, they knew what they were doing, she she really didn't know what <laughs> what was being done with this movie. So, Well, I think you're right in that the movie is very aware of Jaws. It would have to be in 1980. <laughs> Jaws being... The fact that a kid gets it right away at the beginning, again, yeah. I think we can thank Jaws for that if we want to thank yeah. anything. But for what it's worth, it does sort of start the movie saying, you know, no rules. Everybody's on the table. Yeah. And uh, like, much like the rape angle of the story, do I like the idea of a child being killed? No, but it, it, it if you're going to do it, uh, do it for a reason. And, and it, it, it boosts the stakes right away. It makes you think, oh, holy crap, that's where they're going. Or alternately, it's something that tells you if you're not liking this, this is the first scene of the movie, so you can feel free yeah. to stop right now if this is not what you're into. Yeah. I guess I respect the honesty of this movie. <laughs> I've talked in the past about movies like Funny Games or, or like mm. some of <clears throat> these like art house statement horror movies that say, shame on you for wanting this shame on you for liking this you're making us do this so you're somehow complicit in this you're part of the villainy you're part of the badness i don't believe in filmmakers wagging their finger at me i think mm -hmm. the people who made this movie made this movie because this is the kind of movie they enjoyed watching and they made it for people who enjoy watching this type of movie i mean yeah uh, it's it's hard movie to defend, but like I, I I have fun with it in a sort of guilty pleasure kind of way. But yep. it's practically like a, a subset of pornography, as far as some people are concerned. Like it is it is what it is. Um, so it's a it's one of those movies that I am. It's going to rank higher on the list than people maybe think that it deserves for me. But I think that you have to grade it on that measure. What was the movie trying to be? Did it succeed yeah. on that measure? I think it does. Is it exploitive? Yeah, but it's somehow, it's a pure exploitation film, you know? Um, it it knows what it is and it doesn't pretend to be something else. I think that's what really rubs me the wrong way. Like, say what you will about Basic Instinct. Basic Instinct had no problem with being Basic Instinct. Don't, mm -hmm. don't be ashamed of yourself or don't shame me for wanting to watch it. Yeah. If you yeah. sign up to watch a movie called Humanoids from the Deep, you should come in with a certain expectation, and those expectations will be met. It, it doesn't, it leaves, even though it's an exploitation film, it certainly doesn't leave you with a nasty taste in your mouth that, say, when we've reviewed Out Pupil or um, Dreamcatcher. Right. Movies like that, which are considered higher art than this. Well, and again, I'm, I'm framing it from the time it came out, right? This is 1980. It was a different mm -hmm. world. It was 40 years Plus. ago. And uh, yeah. so I will grade it for the world that it was born from. If it came out today, I might be saying, wow, you guys really kind of took that far. Almost to a way where my hat's off. Like, that took balls. Yeah. You're going to lose friends over this movie. <laughs> but uh, uh, it... it, it to quote the dude, this is a movie that just fits right in there, right in its time and place. Good enough? Perfect. Yeah.
I am rolling. So there it was. Those were six retro horror movies reviewed. So now we get to the rank part of this. And before yeah. I pressed record, I told you, like, we're not going to rank. I just know from listening to these reviews, we're not going to rank the same. It's not going to be six for six. I'd be surprised if it was zero for six, but it's not going to be six for six. But I'm going to take it personally. Again, these are movies of my youth. And I think somebody who didn't grow up with this particular aesthetic kind of, like, around them would react differently. So I think... <clears throat> What's true with one is kind of true with all of these. Uh, they're of a very specific niche and aesthetic, and if you like that aesthetic, I think you'll have fun with these movies, even the the best and worst parts of them. They kind of are what they are, but um, it's very, very specific. <laughs> so uh, it's yeah. all shades of gray. It's like picking a bunch of your favorite shade of gray out of six different shades of gray in some respects. <laughs> There are certainly some that are better than others. I think we're going to agree on the bottom at least, but um, let's have it, Jason. What was your least favorite and why? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I came to horror through literature first and then into my teens a little bit more. So I I guess it wasn't from the beginning. So And they were always kind of taboo movies to me. So it would have been interesting if I had experienced these ones that, the, that you did, um, at least five of the six. But least number six for me is tourist trap um but i i do have to admit it. i mean it's not and we're close to the worst thing i've ever seen and it does bring in some really creepy moments but i just uh the the acting distracted me and i i just had i i just had more trouble with it even though you know there could be there could be arguments about enjoying this one more than uh, some of the other ones i'm going to mention yeah Number five uh, is The Beast Within. I I really don't. It, it's a more polished-looking movie, but it's it's kind of dull in places. I didn't really care about anyone, and it uh, wasn't wasn't as much fun as as the other ones. <clears throat> so those those would be the only two that I'd put my thumbs down to for this. Okay. The other four, surprisingly, are are recommendations. Even though I have to be careful who I recommend some of these movies to. Yeah. Um, number four for me is Humanoids from the Deep. I, I did maybe sounded really positive about it, and I am. It is a low-budget B-movie, but I it, it has its problems, but it, it is a lot of fun. There just isn't a whole lot more to it than that. Uh, it, it's probably the most, most, well, it's an exploitation film, so it has the most exploitation of any of these, um, but it it didn't ruin some, some movies it ruins it for me. Other others, it, it doesn't. And this one was just, just pure fun. I think a lot of people can have fun with it. Um, number three, uh, you know, and I, I think the top three are a little bit, a little bit tough here, but I just had to go with my heart, maybe more than my head in some cases. Uh, the initiations, number three, I would revisit the initiation. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, can get past the first couple scenes quite a bit. There's a lot of familiar stuff in here. Um, there's a lot of cliches. There's some a range of acting, but on the whole, I uh, I left this movie with a big smile on my face, and I, I enjoyed it. Surprisingly to me, because when I was watching the first half an hour, 45 minutes of it, I thought Altered States would be my number one. Uh, and I just thought, well, it's it's kind of in a different league than the rest of these movies. But oddly enough, 
paced and this one bothered me and you know i'm somebody who watches like three four hour movies i don't mind a, a long sit or anything like that but uh altered states was number two for me i i would recommend it probably uh, of these six movies to the most number of people william awesome minette paul balaban's great the special effects are terrific wonderful music score um so it, it is enjoyable but it felt longer than it actually is because it's not actually that long a movie. But weirdly enough, my number one was Terror, Terror Train. I just keep thinking about that one, and despite its problems, and there are problems in it, I had a lot of fun with it. And I, I, I just, just it's set on a train, and there's a little bit of a mystery, and all these people are being killed, and whether I buy that they're medical students or not, it's. Uh, and maybe it's just a little bit, we've talked about the types of horror movies I like, and I, I do like slashers, maybe a little bit more than, than creature features. Um, but uh, Terror Train, this is one where I just am wrestling with, maybe it should be number three, but I have to go with my heart, and Terror Train surprised me. I really, really enjoyed it. So. Wow. Well, That's I have, my list of six. I have to say, Jason, my, <laughs> you thought, right? my preamble was complete bullshit. Congratulations, we have just gone zero for six. Uh, and for real, like, we did go zero for six. I have the stack in front of me. I'm not lying to you this time. You have won a prize, my, my friend. You have won. I don't know nice. if you can see it through here. A VHS screener copy of Chairman of the Board starring Carrot Top. Uh, nice. It's, it's both VHS and a screener copy, so, like, I don't think you could get rid of it if you wanted to. Like, legally, it's not meant to be sold, so it's your problem now. But, you know, maybe you can you can review Chairman of the Board on your podcast sometime. I think I can, yeah. Uh, I'm going to go through my list. Uh, I'm surprised. It's not just that we went zero for six, but, like, we disagreed. <laughs> We're very different. I put The Beast Within uh, dead last, and maybe it's part of me wanting it to be more because of like that idea I built up of it in my head when I was a kid. It has a cool transformation sequence and, like I guess, a watchable last half an hour, but the movie's 96, or 98 minutes long, so you want all 98 of those minutes to be entertaining, not just the last 30. Work, try a little harder. But take a breath. In fifth place terror train it's weird because like it has all the elements that that should be there we've got our 80s screamed queen we've got a claustrophobic environment we've got halloween costumes we've got you Mm -hmm. know all of the all of the pieces are here but for some reason it just doesn't close the deal for me it's a completely adequate example of what a slasher movie of the 80s looks like but already when this movie came out it was being outpaced by other slasher movies around it so i'm just lukewarm on it like only just lukewarm um i might have been overselling it in the review it ranked higher for you but in fourth place i'm putting the initiation totally is what it is movie it is what it is it's it it's much like the terror train like it's it's a template slasher movie but i think it just hits the beats a little bit it made me smile, whereas Terror Train, I just was kind of like nodding along, yes, this is the inevitable scene that happens here, 
Why are we spending so much time with the crew? The initiation, even though, even when I felt I was being manipulated by the burn victim father figure or, well, you know, exploring the hypnosis thing, trying to unlock her, her dream or her secret, I was never bored by the movie uh, the way at times I was in Terror Train, I have to admit. So now we're getting into the personal territory for top three. Tourist Trap managed to get all the way to third place for me. Uh, it's an uncanny thing, though. Like I said in the review, I don't know how all these components came together to add up to creepy for me, but they kind of did. <laughs> There's something about those whispering mannequins, man. There's a feel to the movie. It doesn't have the teeth and tissue or the, the you know, the exploitative nudity that the other movies have, but it doesn't need them. It's not reliant on them. It's still an effective horror movie, and it's PG, and it's 1979. Uh, a rarer thing for it. It's a bit of a skinny dip seat at the beginning. Yeah? Well, well, they got away with it anyway. <laughs> All the way, and this seems ridiculously high in second place, I'm putting Humanoids from the Deep. What? what what's yeah. your movie? What is it trying to be? I think one of the best choices is making it 78 minutes long. Like, it moves so fast, you don't really have that much time to think about it. It's not a movie that yeah. was meant to be reviewed. It's a movie that was meant to be watched and kind of forgot. <laughs> it's a, a cheapy horror movie. But it knows that it's a cheapy horror movie, and I think it's pretty good at being a cheapy horror movie. If the exploitation <laughs> is going to bother you, it is going to bother you, and just, it's not for you. You know, the way the next Katherine Heigl rom-com is not for me, <laughs> this movie is not for you. Um, but I don't know. I'm charmed by it in a weird, perverse way. I find the movie charming. Mm -hmm. But I think at number one is Altered States because it's the closest thing to a legit film. I mean, it like uh, it feels like it's about something more than just like horror and exploitation. And I like horror and exploitation, and you can be just about that. But there's ideas to this. There's ambition to yeah. this. It introduced the world to William Hurt, and I thought that was a good thing for the world to have. I, like I said, even though they're incredibly dated, I love the special effects in this movie. Uh, it's a walk, not a run, but I think if you're in the right mood for it, and I think you'll know when you are. It's just one of those movies, you know. I feel like having my brain melted tonight. Let's let's try Altered States. Yeah. Uh, then you can do it. Don't start it too late. It's not something that you start after 10 o'clock at night, but... Uh, it's worth your time. In this list, I'm putting yeah. it number one. It also stands out from the other ones. Like, I called it, I kind of dismissively called it kind of sort of a creature feature because it has that aspect to it, but it's very different than the rest of the list. It comes out in the same era, and it's a horror movie, but it's <laughs> like almost every other way. It's a different It's a different animal. You so, got a much bigger budget, for sure. And I, I can say I'm, I'm just a, a little bit dissatisfied with the end. Um uh, and I, I think it's close to it, it was a little bit of a it, it was nearly number one for me but I don't know what it is about Terror Train that just I, I got a lot of joy from that movie and I didn't you know have to think about it too much so awesome yeah we did yeah. it brother you you kind of sort of won you got a prize <laughs> I did I was so excited last time that we were one for this time you did it for real. Doing. It's funny because I thought like the one we were gonna like have disagreed on was like uh, the tourist trap, but uh, well, I mean, I guess in our list that's the biggest difference. But like 
The Beast Within? No, a uh, Terror Train. Like I had it in fifth place. You had first. So like, not only was it different, it was not. It was different, not the way I expected it to be. But that's fine. That's fine. I'm glad that you didn't. There was a real chance I had in my head that you were going to be doing this episode and like, okay. Whatever list we do next, it's going to have to be a better list than this, Larry, or I'm not going to enjoy ranking review anymore. So the fact that you actually would give thumbs up to four out of six, uh, that's good. I mean, my guess is yeah. the average person maybe would be three out of six. <laughs> maybe maybe about half of these movies would work for people. But I'm, I'm yeah. glad that you had a, a good time with this one because, like I said, it could have gone either way. And and now you have chairman of the board. So it all worked out. Yes, yeah, perfect. Thanks so much. I'm supposed dude. to be getting rid of my movies. That's a, my <laughs> podcast. Which has been really, really hard. You're, you're smart to just rank them. I've been losing some movies here where it's been painful lately. So You realize you don't have to do that. This is something you're doing to yourself. I am, yeah. Um, but but... I wanted to have, I wanted to have a, a certain angle to my show, so that's, that, that would... That's how it's working out. So. Well, thanks for saying yeah. that so I can give it an excuse for one more time to shout out the Shelf Shedding Movie yeah. Show hosted by Jason Dubray. He gets rid of one of his movies, sometimes two of his movies, depending on, on the math on a given show. Uh, so it, there's personal losses for Jason every episode. Mm -hmm. So you owe, yes, him, you owe him your ears for that. Check out the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. And uh, I have this sneaking feeling like Jason will be back someday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you won't have to twist. I won't have much. to twist your arm? Oh, okay. Good to know. No, you won't. No. Cheers, brother. <laughs>